legal problems between believers, especially when money is involved, can not only tear apart a partnership, they can tear apart an entire church. Is there any counsel about situations like this in the Bible? Well, yes, there is. And it is time we went back and took a hard look at what Paul has to say about cases like this. So let's join Dave Wordson for the conclusion of the case of Believer versus Believer from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. If you have a conflict between two believers in this church, you should get together and choose some mature believers to hear your case. And you should submit to them. You should, you should allow them to have you present your case, present everything they need to know about it, and then let them decide. Let them decide. Now, some of you go, horrors, you know, that'll never work. Yes, it will work. It will work. I guarantee you, if you don't think it'll work, then go down to county court and just sit there for a week. And just jot down, what kind of justice is really done here? Are these people much wiser than just everyday normal people? No. You'll have a lot of jargon, a lot of terminology. Most things can be decided by brothers and sisters, brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters in the family of God, much quicker and much easier. Now, a lot of you won't do that, but we should. Because for believers to go to a secular court, for believers to go to a secular court, just tears the family of God apart. Now, we're not talking about a believer that has a problem with an unbeliever, because that unbeliever is not under the jurisdiction of the church. And sometimes believers will be in a secular court in dealing with an unbeliever-believer situation. And sometimes it's very complicated because somebody can say they're a believer and yet everything about their lives says that they're not. But the case the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 6, a specific case, is two believers in the church of Corinth who have become a part of that church. They have publicly said they're a born-again believer. They are continuing the fellowship in that church. And yet they're in secular court against one another. The Apostle Paul says that needs to come under the jurisdiction of the local church. And I would challenge you, the church today has largely lost what the Apostle Paul is saying. In fact, as you read the commentators on this section of Scripture, one after another will say we're in a much different time. Things are much different than they were back then. We really can't apply this today. But just as in Corinth, the testimony of Christ is being torn apart because believers don't trust one another's judgment. They can't believe that a fellow believer could act as an arbitrator. Some of you have done that in our church family. I've had situations over the years where some of you have gotten into conflict and you've followed this kind of a procedure. So what do we do? If a Charlie Christian cheat gets us, what do we do? We try to find a mature believer that will be able to arbitrate for us in that case. We don't take it out to the secular court. We work with it in the church family. Now we get the hard part. Nothing happens. The person won't submit to that. 
You didn't get your money. You're a thousand dollars in the hole. What are you going to do now? Take it to a secular court and sue, sue, sue. Right? It didn't work. We called these guys from the church, even got a wise lady on there. We wanted to really have it set up. They answered it, told the person what they wanted to do, and they refused to do it. Now I'm going to take it to the secular court, right? What do you think? Let's take a vote. How many want to get their $1,000 back? Come on, be honest. I want you to feel this a little bit. And boy, if you make it 25000 it gets even worse. Now what do you do? See, you all sit here piously, man. This is really Monday morning living. Boy, when I get wiped out like this and, man, I lose some money over this, boy, I say, let's get him. We're going to have to do this. Man, we're going to have to take that guy to court and get our money. That's the only way we're going to get it, right? Look what Paul says. Paul just gets into the warp of our life and says some strange things that make it very troubling at times to live the Christian life. Look what he says in verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. I want to share with you, if you're a believer against another believer, you can't win in a secular court. You cannot win in a secular court. You've already lost. Everybody loses. Believers lose in a secular court every time. Even if you get your money, you lose. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've already been completely defeated. Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong and you do this to your brothers. What he's telling you this. If you go to a secular court, believer against believer, we're going to lose in this kind of a situation. Now, we're talking about a case about where a, a true believer, another believer can't solve their problem. We go to secular court. We're going to lose. And then Paul says an incredible thing. He said it's better to get cheated. It's better to get cheated. And that's where it's really hard for us. That's where it's really, really hard for us. Because we don't like to get cheated. In fact, this is very similar to Luke. Remember when, when the Lord Jesus said in Luke, if somebody hits you on one cheek, what does he tell you to do? I just say, well, you want this one too? I'll just be honest with you. I've hated that from the time I was a kid. I remember reading that for the first time. I just hated that. And a lot of you hate that too. Man, my attitude is, okay, hit this one, hit this one, pow. Jesus only told me two cheeks. You ever feel like that? Man, I felt like that. You know what our problem is? If I got a couple kids up here today and I gave them 25 cents apiece, okay, and then I told now one of the kids, now you take his 25 cents. So the kid reaches over and grabs that 25 cents. And so now he's got 50 cents and this kid has nothing. How do you think the one that has nothing is going to feel? Huh? In fact, if they were playing on your living room floor and that happened, what would happen next? A fight, okay? Now let's suppose that I played the game this way. I told the kid that lost 25 cents, before any of this happened, I told one of the kids, I'm going to give that one 25 cents, I'll give you 25 cents, and he'll probably take the 25 cents away from you. But I've got $100. 
And the $100 is yours. I'm not going to give it to you yet, but it's yours. Now how's the one that's going to feel that lost the 25 cents? Huh? So what? You can have it. You want it? You can have it. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul has said in this context. You see, we get all worked up about $1,000, about people that steal $25,000, $50,000, wipe us out in their business. We get all worked up about that. We feel our whole life's coming to an end. But the Lord Jesus says an incredible thing. He says, one day you're going to rule and reign with Christ. And the Lord promises to meet our needs. So you don't have to be uptight about material things. And what I'm sharing about today is really hard for us. Really, really hard for us. Because as American believers, our whole identity is in those material things. And it's so hard for us to be able to let go what we can see in order to handle what we can't see. But that's what the Lord is saying. What he's saying is, if it comes down to push and shove, and a believer cheated you, Charlie Christian cheated you, you're out $1,000, you're going to have to roller skate to work because you don't have another $1,000 to fix a transmission. He says, don't take it to court. Just start asking him for transmissions. But don't take your brother to court. Now, you say, well, is it going to end there? Because, you know, Dave, to be honest with you, a lot of these people that I deal with, you know, they cheat and cheat and cheat and cheat and cheat. And nothing ever happens to them. I want to share something with you. The final close of this passage. The Apostle Paul talked about that complicated situation. We have a believer who cheats. We had a believer last week that's immoral. We need to close by looking at what the Apostle Paul says about ethics in the Christian life. Verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? I want to ask you a question. If you lose $1,000 and at the great white throne judgment, here you are at the great white throne judgment. I'm not sure we're going to be there as believers, but we'll just imagine you are. The Lord calls a fellow up there and says, I've got it down on my records here that you stole $1,000 from so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. You got it? And he says to you, were you hurt over that? Yes, I was hurt over that. Man, I had a roller skate to work for 20 years. Couldn't make up the $1,000. The Lord said, you know, I was really deeply hurt about this. And he said, did you ever repent of that? Did you ever turn away from that? Did you ever ask forgiveness about that? Did you ever make that right? Persia says, no, I didn't. You know what the Lord will probably say? You know, you are a big lip. You said all the pious things. In fact, you knew the Bible called. And you knew all the language of being born again. And you raised your hand a million times. But I want to share something with you. You never knew me. And I cast you away from my presence because it was all lip and no heart. And the person's cast out in outer darkness. And you're sitting there did you get justice? Huh? You think that's just? Did that take care of your $1,000? Now that's not why people are going to go to hell. It'll be a lot more than $1,000. But what I just said, you need to listen very, very carefully to what I just said. 
Because that's how you can forgive people now. Because every one of you, if you can look at Charlie Chee Christian, and you can realize, you see, our lip isn't what gets us into the kingdom of God. It's a commitment of faith from the heart. And what Paul closes this passage by saying is that believers, when they are really believers, change. And they stop cheating. And they stop being immoral. And they stop swindling. And they stop blaspheming. And if they don't, then we don't know where they really stand. I'm not the one that makes that judgment. I want to share that with you. I don't judge any of you. I don't judge whether you're born again. If you confess with your mouth, if you come before me for premarital counseling or for counseling and I share the gospel with you and you say, yes, I believe that. I don't judge you. I believe you. I know there's been situations where the fella has coached the girl. My pastor's going to say so-and-so and so-and-so. Say yes at that time. John 3.16. You got it? Got it. Be sure you say it. I know that happens. I'm not a jerk or an idiot. But if you tell me you're born again, I believe you. Because I can't look into your heart. But God can. And what this text is telling us is that if you're really born again, it produces a changed life. I want you to look at probably some of the most beautiful words in the midst of some of the harshest words of all of Scripture. Look what it says. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is the hard part. Don't be deceived. And I pray that every one of you, I don't want any one of you believers to be deceived. There's not going to be any sexually immoral people in heaven. There will be absolutely no sexually immoral people in heaven. There's not going to be any idolaters in heaven. No prideful people that worship things, people, objects other than God. No idolaters in heaven. No adulterers in heaven. Absolutely no adulterers in heaven. There's not going to be any passive homosexual partners in heaven. The next word there is a word that basically means soft, and it refers to the passive partner of a, of a homosexual relationship. The uh, Corinthian Roman world was filled with that. In fact, Sporus was a young boy that was castrated by Nero, and Nero married him in a formal ceremony and lived in a marriage relationship with his cohort. Fourteen out of the 15 Roman emperors up to this time lived in homosexual relationships. That's the world it was living in. We're living in that world again. It's very hard to stand against homosexuality within our world. But I want to make it very clear there's not going to be any adulterers in heaven, and there's not going to be any homosexuals in heaven. None of that in heaven. goes on to say this. There's not going to be any thieves in heaven. I want you to notice that all these things are on the same level. When I talked about homosexuality, most of you heterosexuals say, Oh, no, that's horrible. Get them, get them, get them. Notice it says adulterers. It says sexually immoral. All kinds of sexual deviation that turns away from the monogamous pattern of what God called us for in marriage. None of that in heaven. Because when I say there's not going to be any greedy people in heaven, well, we can get down to the homosexuals, but boy, well, we can really be greedy. Man, I'm going to get my $1,000 or else. I've got to have it. Greed. Not going to be any drunkards in heaven. You know, you just started taking one. Sure, you can handle a beer. The only problem is you drink six of them. 
And then you drink another six. And every night you go to bed and you're soused. None of that in heaven. So there's not going to be any slanders in heaven. Oh, Lord, boy, now we're, this is, this is rough. Yeah, now we meddle. Slander. You notice, see, we, we have our choice thing. What I do with this list is I pick out the one that doesn't bother me at all. No temptation at all in that area. I say, get them. Then I get to the areas that, man, slandering. It's when we tell half-truths about someone else. You know what it is? It's when one of you ladies tells a story about another friend in the church and it goes through the whole thing. And someone's reputation is just demolished. That happens. It's when one of you fellas comes up with an idea. Boy, you know, somebody did so-and-so. And you tell it to a friend. And they tell it to a friend. And it goes like a cancer throughout a church family. Instead of going directly to people that are involved to find out. There's so many of you in this church family that I respect so much because you don't slander You'll call me directly. Like if it's something that I oversee, if it's something that I work with, you'll call me directly. And you'll say something like this. You know, maybe it's just in me, but this is what's going on in my heart. What do you think? What do we need to do? I love that. There's no infection that's spread. Truth is able to prevail. Slandering is when... Those half-truths go out. Boy, a church family can be torn apart by that. None of that in heaven. No Charlie cheats. The next one. No swindlers. No Charlie Christian cheats. Nobody that wipes out transmissions will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, aren't you glad he didn't stop there? Because how many of us have ever done any of the things that I just listed? You ever cheat anybody? You ever slander somebody? And some of you are sitting there, you're going, oh, no. I knew I wasn't going to make it into heaven. I knew all this stuff about God's grace wasn't true. I knew it was too good to believe it. David's been telling for by grace that you're saved through faith. Now he tells us none of us are going to get to heaven. No, that's not what I said. There's not going to be any homosexuals in heaven. No adulterers in heaven. No sexually immoral people. No greedy people. No idolaters. But the next words, and such were some of you. 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 But you are washed. There was a day you came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a very loving way, He took your dirty sin nature and He cleansed your personality. He cleansed you. It uses the imagery of being washed with beautiful, clear, flowing water and scrubbed. You've been washed. Not an external baptism up here. That's just the picture of that. Beautiful picture of it. But just a picture. The real washing takes place the moment you believe in that message of the cross and Christ forgives you. Let me use the dastardly one. Maybe you had homosexual relationships. Maybe you were dragged into that when you were a teenager. Maybe as you began to develop sexually, there was an older person that came along and they seduced you at a very vulnerable time in your life. And so you had that kind of an experience. And you felt guilty and dirty and marred. And you believed. You believed in Christ. Christ can deliver you from that. I'm not saying you'll take the impulses away any more than I'm saying that it'll take the impulses of a heterosexual immoral thought away. 
Same wrestling, only in a different area. Just like a thief who's tempted to steal. Jesus is not saying that he'll take the impulse away. But he is saying that he'll give you the power not to be controlled by it. Not to live under that domination. And it could take time. And I want to try to clear away some of that fear. This text is not telling us that a, that a homosexual cannot work through their problem. It's saying just the opposite. They can. There is judgment in this passage against homosexuals, against swindlers, against liars, against prideful people. There's judgment against all of that, but there's also hope. And that's what the world has such a hard time understanding. There's no hope if I say to a homosexual, you're just born that way, it's just in your physical makeup, you're just different. It's like saying you got a terminal case of disease, of cancer, and there's nothing we can do. We're all born. Homosexuals say, well, I was born that way. I was born a liar. So were you. I was born prideful. So were you. I was born a cheater. Nobody taught me to do any of those things. Now, not all of us have those problems in the same manifestation of the sinful nature. But it's all relatively the same thing. That arrogant, rebellious, sinful nature that we inherit from Adam that we're born with. And Paul says, such were some of you, but you've been washed. You've been set apart. You've been sanctified. Christ takes a person who is an adulterer and he sets him apart and makes him his child. Because Christ paid it all. And Christ justifies us. I mentioned the great white throne judgment. It's saying that as we come before God's court, we'll never stand at the great white throne because you've already been acquitted. The judgment's already been made. God already said, this individual is under the blood of Jesus. The penalty's been paid. A person cannot be made to pay for an offense twice. They're forgiven. So a homosexual comes before the throne of God, a person that was involved in that kind of a sin, but now they've turned away and they believed. They become a child of God. And God says, you're now my child. Now that's hard for some of you to buy, but it's true. In fact, you know what Paul is saying? He's saying in the Corinthian church, there were all these kinds of people. Not all of them were that kind of sinner. But they were all sinners. He says, such were some of you. And that's the great message of hope. It's so hard for us to understand this free forgiveness, this power of the washing of Christ, the reality of justification. It's so hard for us to understand these things and to allow the Spirit of God to powerfully change us ethically, to change the way that we live. But we've got to get those two things together. It is free. It is by grace. But when Christ comes into your life, He changes you. And that's a process of time. But what I want every one of you to realize, I don't want you to leave here and say, boy, I've got some of those problems I'm never going to make into the kingdom of God. Instead, I want you to say, I believed in Christ, if you have. And I'm not that anymore. It's not who I really am. It's not my identity. It's not what I need to be a slave to. I don't have to be controlled by that anymore. I can crucify that in Christ. And I can live a new life. Now that takes place over time in everyday life. 
But let's not ever forget and let's not ever excuse that sinful nature. Because that sinful nature, according to 1 Corinthians 6, is not you anymore. As believers, because we're going to judge the world and angels someday, we don't ever take one another to a secular court. Fellow believers don't ever go to court against one another. We go to believers. We get believers to deal with us, to help us. Second of all, if we don't get justice there, if we don't get our money back, if it doesn't work out, then we say, Lord, in the heavenly kingdom, you'll pay me back. A lot of times, the Lord will pay you back in this life. In fact, it becomes a wondrous venture of faith to see how the Lord provides for you. If He doesn't give you your money back, if you can believe like that, the intimacy that you have with the Savior will be worth it. If you can be wronged and still believe, then you've really got a marvelous gift of faith. Finally, there's not going to be any sinners in heaven because all the sinners that are in heaven will be transformed into the character of Christ. Let's pray for one another. Let's not divorce ethics from faith or faith from ethics.